going to make a bit of a sharp turn now. <laughs> and I, tell you, you, I want you to tell me who this gentleman was. I can't believe some of you didn't really know that. Some of you don't know that, do you? This is the king. This is not the king of kings. This is just the king of rock and roll. This is Elvis and um, an incredible guy with an incredible um, background and story. Uh, a few years ago, Lee and myself, we were on holiday. We were going into, we were in America, something, and we, we ended up in uh, Memphis and went to Graceland. And because we're musicians as well, had to be done. And we stood around his grave and sang songs in tribute. We really did. Uh, sad, I know that. Need to get out more. But it was amazing to actually hear some of the stories about this incredible guy. Uh, how you know you can go into like he's got his jet out there. We went into his jet. Not flew it, but it was on the, on, the, on the floor there, on the tarmac. And then he had these massive big warehouses with all of these cars that he owned. He loved cars. But what people didn't realise is he was a very generous man as well. And they told us a story about how one night he just got up in the middle of the night, took one of his cars and found a single mom out in a, in a bad part of town, knocked on her door and gave her the car and walked off. People didn't know that kind of thing about this man. Uh, incredibly famous, incredibly successful and popular uh, in, the, in the different rooms of his, of his house at Graceland. Got all of these platinum and gold albums, all the millions of albums that he sold all around the world. Although he never did a concert outside of the US, which is amazing considering all these album sales. But here's the thing. When Elvis died, there were 34 known Elvis impersonators on the planet. Only 34. By the late 80s, that had risen to 30,000. Somebody worked out that if that trend had continued, by 2035, one in every five people on the planet would be an Elvis impersonator. Which means that they would overtake the Chinese as the biggest population on the planet. Fortunately, not everything that people predict actually comes true. And here we go. In 1994, in Denver, Colorado, there was the first church of the living Elvis can you believe that? How tragic is that? I mean, can you imagine being at a church of the living Elvis? What would the appeal be like? Are you lonesome tonight? Anyone feel like a hound dog? Our services here are one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, rock. Took me ages to work on that. And, uh, but here's the thing. Elvis was so popular and so groundbreaking in what he did. But he died at 42 of obesity and of drug dependence. And his wife Priscilla wrote this about him. Elvis never came to terms with who he was meant to be or what his purpose in life was. He thought that he was here for a reason, maybe to preach, maybe to serve, maybe to save, maybe to care for people. That agonising desire was always with him and he knew he wasn't fulfilling it. So he'd go on stage and he wouldn't have to think about it. And when I read that years ago, it so impacted me. And having been there and stood in the place where he was and seen all of that success and popularity and hearing that felt so tragic but it raises up what I think is the app for when you feel bored when you feel bored there is an app for that and the app is purpose when you know who you are and what you're here to do and to be you will not have time to be bored when we know who we are and we are stepping into purpose we won't have time to be bored you see I believe this we are made on purpose for a purpose we are made on purpose for a purpose. And if you've got a Bible, I'm going to turn to it uh, with me, uh, or turn it in it, turn to it, with it, whatever. Or, or you can read it on the screen. We're going to look at a few verses in the book of Ephesians. I'm going to pull one verse out that we want to look at this morning. And Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4, it says this, But God is so rich in mercy. Anyone say amen to that? 
God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Because it's only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for all who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. Now pause there. All of that is Paul saying this. Listen, God's grace in your life is nothing to do with you. You haven't earned it by anything you've done or haven't done. God loves you so much that he gave Jesus for you and it's all grace. And when you believe him, you step into a relationship with him, you receive salvation, freedom from your sins, cleansing from your sins and into a relationship with him that will last for eternity. And it's nothing to do with you. It's everything to do with God. Amen. And he wants to make that really clear because then he says this, for we are God's masterpiece. Wow. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, you are a masterpiece this morning. That will be awkward for some of you. What a masterpiece. <laughs> I don't know whether you thought about that when you got out of bed this morning and looked in the mirror and said, I'm a masterpiece. But this is what the Bible says. All right, get back into it now. Calm down now. For we are God's masterpiece. Listen, he has created us in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. He loves us so much. His salvation, his grace is nothing to do with what we do. But when we step into that grace, we also step into purpose. Because we are made on purpose for a purpose. Yes, we're made and created so that God can love us and God wants to love us. But it's more than that. He has something for us to do and to be while we're here on planet earth. God created us. In his own image, the Bible says, and we're created with that sense of who he is on the inside of us. But because of sin and because we went our own way, we got dislocated from God and we got dislocated from one another and we got dislocated from our environment. But when we come back into that relationship with God, it's like he reawakens the ideals that he's put within us. So he reawakens all of those great things within us. And so in that, we want to make the world a better place. We want to be kind and we want to be loving. And we want to bring hope where there's hopelessness. And we want to bring unity where there's disunity. Why? Because that's who God is. Because that's who God is. Because we are made on purpose for a purpose. And I think that every aspect of our life comes alive when we come alive with him. I love this old story I found recently. It's of this old African-American ferry engineer. And he's on this old ferry boat. And the boat's in really bad shape. And the engine's dirty and horrible and old. And then this man gets converted and becomes a Christian. And God comes, awakens things within him. And so when he goes back to work, all of a sudden, this dirty old boat looks different. And he gets his stuff out and, and, and he cleans it and he polishes the engine till you can see your face in it. And someone says to him, why do you do that? Why, why did you do that? And he said, well, I, I, and all he said is, sir, and I can't do the accent. He said, sir, I've just got me a glory. I've got me a glory. I've come into a relationship with God and everything is different. And so I went and went back to work and I saw my engine that looked dirty. I've got this glory in me. I'm made on purpose for a purpose. And so he cleaned his engine. Listen, 
We've all, if, you've, if you're in a relationship with God, you've got you a glory, haven't you? You've got you a glory. So everything has got to look different. We are here for a purpose. And everything, our workplace, our world, our community, our church life, our family, everything has got to look different when we understand who we are. We are made on purpose for a purpose. And when you discover purpose in God, I think it answers the three big philosophical questions that human beings have. We haven't got time to open these all up because they're big. Number one, existence. Why am I here? Carl Jung, the great psychologist, said this. I don't know the meaning, the purpose of life, but it looks as if something were meant by it. It's tragic. I don't know the meaning or the purpose, but it looks as though something were meant by it. God made us to love us, but he also made us for purpose. Existence. Why am I here? To love God and to make him known. To love God on purpose and to live out purpose. Secondly, significance. Does my life really matter? There are three levels to life. There's survival, there's success, and then there's significance. Most people go for one and two. If I can just survive, that's good. Or no, maybe we go on to success. Don't stop there. The ultimate level of life is not survival or success. It's significance. And significance is not significance in you. It's significance in others. And especially in God. You know, I, I was thinking about this recently and I think it's because I'm getting older. And as you get older, folks, don't, don't you realise how life goes so quick? Am I the only one that thinks like that? It's like, oh my goodness, really, has it gone that quick? And I had this thought and I wrote it down and it's one of those quotes that I thought, that's really good. So this is not anybody else's, this is mine. There's not a lot of life left if you spend it, but there's a lot of life left if you invest it. And I just thought, just that difference. If I just spend it, there's not a lot of life left. But however old you are, there is a lot of life left if you invest it. And so purpose isn't about spending our life. Purpose is about investing our life for the sake of others. And the third area is intention. Can my life actually make a difference? I think Elvis wrestled with this his whole life. One of my other favourite singers is Sting. And he wrote this in his autobiography. When I was young, my overwhelming ambition was to be famous. I wanted it so much so that my parents would be forced to notice me. That's tragic, isn't it? And yet that's the deep thing within many of us about intention. Can my life make a difference? Am I here on the planet just to suck up air or is it more than that? I want to say to you guys, young people, not so young people, anyone in between, we are made on purpose for a purpose. And when we step into that, we will not have time to feel bored so how are we going to discuss, how are we going to apply this app of purpose? Well, I'm going to use a bit of biology this morning, or very loosely, and I'm going to say three things. Firstly, it starts with our hearts and minds. So here's the question. Does our mind affect what we feel, or does what we feel affect how we think? Well, the answer is yes. I always used to think it was get a grip of your mind, and then your feelings will catch up. I don't think it's as simple as that now. I think they're interchangeable, almost indivisible. How we feel and how we think are so crucial to everything. Because many of us have an issue with how we feel and how we think when it comes to purpose. We don't feel or we don't think that God has anything specific for us. Or that God could even want to use us to make a difference on this planet. And one of the characters that comes to mind the most is the character Gideon in the Old Testament. And if you know that story, Gideon was this young man in Israel... And Israel were being uh, uh, overwhelmed by the Midianites and they were living in fear of their lives, hiding in caves. And Gideon was in this um, uh, wine press threshing wheat when an angel came to him 
And the angel was God calling him into purpose. He said, Gideon, I'm going to use you to do something great in the nation for my glory. And Gideon said, yes, God, I'm up for it. No, he didn't. Gideon said, oh, no, 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 you've got the wrong guy, mate. You've got the wrong guy. This is what he said in the Bible, Judges 6, 15. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. Little bit on the Hebrew there. The word weakest has a connotation um, related to messy hair, okay? And the word uh, least as also a, a, a sentence, root word of the runt of a litter. So he's basically saying this, I'm the runt in the bad hair day tribe of Israel. All right? I'm like the runt in the bad hair day tribe of Israel and you're calling me to purpose. Forget it. But here's the thing, God doesn't, God's expectation isn't determined by our limitation. God's expectation isn't determined by our limitation. And God will not adjust his expectation in order to match our limitation. Is that making any sense to anyone? God's expectation isn't connected to our limitation and he won't adjust it to meet it. He says, instead, let my expectation become your inspiration. In other words, I'm not reaching down. God, I want you to reach up. And so God says to him, go in the strength you have, mighty warrior. And Gideon would have, was going to say, have you not listened? Bad hair, runt, least, all of this. And yet God said, that's how you see yourself. It's not how I see you. I actually made you on purpose for a purpose. And he called him. And Gideon, long story short, Gideon became who God said he was anyway. Because God knows best. And I love this kind of verse that it says in, in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 12. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Guys, if you feel weak, you are a candidate for God calling you into purpose. And you, if you don't think that you can make a difference, you're not reading the Bible. Because the Bible says that every one of us who are made on purpose are created for a purpose. And if we will respond to that, God can do amazing things through our lives. And I think we need, to, we need to let God grab our hearts and our minds and make a few shifts. And the first shift is this. We need to move from self-centered thinking to other-centered thinking. Can I tell you, if you're the center of your world, you will be bored. And you're boring. Because if you only ever talk about yourself, you're really boring. And you will be bored. We were never designed for our world to center around us. We're not the center of the universe. Jesus is. And actually when you put him at the center and you put others at the center, you'll find that you're in purpose. We've got to shift from self-centered to other-centered thinking. We've got to shift from here and now thinking to eternal thinking. And we've got to shift from making a living to living a life. We're not just making a living, we want to live a life. We've got to shift from a focus on comfort and safety to a focus on value and purpose. I want to say to you, and I mean this really lovingly, but if in the end of your life you look back and you say, hey, this is what I did with my life. I built a nice conservatory and kept a nice garden. Brilliant. Nothing wrong with conservatories and gardens. But is that it? Or do you want to say, do you know what? I did something for someone else. I did something for God's glory. I was created and made on purpose for a purpose. It's not about safety and comfort. And from not, we've got to shift from existing on the planet to making a difference on the planet. I'm aware that uh, several of you here are newer to us as a church. And I want to use this opportunity to illustrate some things by also letting you in on a little bit of who we are as a community. 
And this is not to boast about us or to boast about me or any in particular person at all. But this is just to highlight some of the things that can happen when you step into purpose with God. And when you say, God, I'm made on purpose for a purpose. And when we move from self-centeredness to others and God-centeredness, amazing things can happen. So around 20 years ago, I was here in the church as the assistant pastor. And I was going into schools, uh, believe it or not. <laughs> and I was doing schools work and I was discovering that other churches were going in as well and we were repeating each other and crossing each other. And So a few of us, me and some of the others from other churches at the time, we got together and we began to dream uh, began, and God put a dream in my heart. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could have a group of people here in the town that were Christians that loved God, that weren't necessarily a church but could be that bridge point between the church community and the youth community of our town. And so Faith Trust was born and we started it with a couple of people back in the day. And over the last 15 years or so, God has done some amazing things. And the video that I'm going to show you is a little bit old, so it's, it's gone on beyond this. So there's now 10 staff, not eight. But this just gives you a window into what God can do. And actually, this isn't about us. This is about the purpose that we believe is in every single young person. Because young people right now are being sold an incredible lie by our culture that they're not good for anything, that nothing ever is good going to come from them. And we don't believe that's true. Do you? Absolutely not. Every single person is made on purpose for a purpose. That's why Faith Trust is born. That's why we want to stand with and for young people. I'll give you a little window. Watch the screen. Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for wanting to find out more about Faith Trust. My name is Rebecca and over the next few minutes I want to take you on a journey. A journey from where we started to where we are now. This is our story. In 1999, a group of youth workers from Howells Owen gathered together with an idea to start a charity. To provide an umbrella for the work that was taking place in the local schools. And so, Faith Trust was born. Faze quickly saw great needs in the young people. We saw that many lacked direction and didn't know how to engage with the world around them. We wanted to make positive changes in the lives of so many of these young people, so we rolled up our sleeves and got stuck in. 16 years later, the staff has quadrupled in size, going from two people to eight, all sharing the same passion and vision to see young people's lives transformed. Face Trust now has four departments, urban culture, sexual health, personal development and community outreach. Each department works differently but has the same aim, to see every young person be equipped, inspired and transformed to make better life choices for themselves and those around them. Our dream is to stand with and for young people in their journeys being a consistent, positive voice in their lives. We see and understand that every young person is unique and has their own story to tell. I know what I want to do with my future and at college. I am trying to keep my head down and stay out of trouble. I now recognise the boundaries I should set with my friends. I now know how to make better choices. You really helped me think about what I was doing. I've not done that before. I am able to walk around my house on my own without being scared. I'm motivated to make sure I am a success. 
I haven't self-harmed for a week. I now have some ideas about how to deal with my anxiety better. When I look in the mirror, I no longer hate what I see. Many things have changed over the years. The space and facilities, our volunteers, our staff team, the courses that we deliver. But our passion and vision has remained the same. Making sure every young person has the opportunity to overcome their own challenges and barriers to become the best versions of themselves that they can be. Between 2010 and 2014, we have connected with around 14,470 different individuals. 1,812 we saw through group awareness sessions. 595 individuals supported through various sexual health programmes. 580 young people supported through urban culture programmes. 415 people supported through personal development programmes. 90 different volunteers. 84 peer leaders developed, 35 young leaders aged between 16 to 21, 8 members of staff, 7 board members, 4 departments and then we are left with one. One vision, one passion, one story. But you know what the amazing thing is, is our story doesn't end there. The story goes on. If you have the same visions and the same passions as us to see young people's lives transformed, then partner with us because our story can become your story. Great. And you know, the amazing thing is now what we're seeing is on Friday night, many of these young people that we're connected with going into the prayer room, asking for prayer. Some of them saying that they've been healed, wanting to know more about God, which is incredible. But it starts with your heart and your mind shifting to say we're not going to let this go on any longer we've got to get involved so when you apply the app of purpose it has to start by God getting a hold of your heart and mind but then it continues by God getting a hold of your ears and your eyes you've got to see and you've got to hear what is going on one of my biggest weaknesses is because I'm so focused on the future and on what's in front of me I often can miss people and miss situations right there in front of me and many years ago, God really challenged me about this uh, from the story about when Jesus heals the blind man. And you remember, uh, he heals one of these blind men by spitting in the mud and rubbing the mud in his eyes. And, and then he says, what do you see? And, and, and the man can't quite see. He can see some people, but he says, but they look like trees. And so Jesus says, mm, they're people. So he prays again and this guy gets a second touch. And then he says, he saw everything clearly. I don't know about you, but sometimes I need that second touch, don't you? Because I often can't quite see the people or can't quite hear the need. And you need God to touch you again in the eyes and in the ears. And several years ago, very long time ago, I remember a lady in our church. She's, not, she's moved out of the area now. But she, she was literally banging on my office door week after week after week saying, Can you not hear? Can you not see? There's kids dying of HIV AIDS in sub-Saharan Africa. And we need to do something about it. And I can remember at the time like saying, yeah, but we've got so much other stuff that we're doing and we need to reach these people and do this and do that. And eventually she battered her way through to my office and she got my attention. And so a few of us went out to Africa and we saw it and we heard it. And God got a hold of our ears and our eyes and our hearts and our minds. And we entered into as a church an over 10 year relationship with an organisation which meant that we got involved in HIV AIDS work and many of you have been involved in that. And even though our relationship and our active involvement has now stopped for a season, the work God has done hasn't. In fact, every month, Boyd, Pastor Boyd contacts me every month 
and will speak to me or share Bible verses with me and I'll do that with him. Always asking him about the project and it's so good to hear that the life expectancy which was so low is going higher and the infant mortality which was so high is dropping lower and God is doing some amazing things. That's purpose. But it starts with your heart and mind. It continues as you allow God to open your ears and to open your eyes. And many of you have been on these kind of trips. And this is something that God is going to resurrect here in us in the church. Not that it was dead. It was just more dormant. If purpose starts in our hearts and minds, if it continues with our eyes and ears, it becomes real with our hands and feet. How do we make it real? And so for this, I want to use something uh, that's going to freak some of you out. I know that because you're not into this. But this is just a great way, I think, of illustrating it. I want to use the world of football just for a moment, okay? And I want you to imagine how it's like. What's the view like from the terraces? See, when you're in the terraces, you're not in the game. And the view from here is very different from where it is on the pitch. Is that right? And so when you're in the terraces, it doesn't cost you anything other than the admission fee. That's all it costs you. You're not going to get hurt up there because no one's going to tackle you. Okay, You're not going to blow the game. It's not going to be your fault if the, if the team loses. You're not going to have to sort it all out afterwards in the after post-match analysis. The view from the terraces is very different. But you see, what you do there when you're on the terraces is you become very critical of the team. And you also um, become disillusioned with the team. And you also lose a little bit of a grasp of reality. How many of you have often said when you've been watching your team, give me the boots, I'll get on myself and sort them out. Anyone ever done that? I've done that a lot over the last few years. And honestly, it wouldn't help. It really wouldn't help at all. Okay, We're bad, but we're not that bad. But what happens when you're on the terraces is that you lose the sense of reality and you lose the sense of perspective. And you become nostalgic easily. I still can't believe that at the villa we are still singing songs about 1981 and 1982. It's like, for goodness sake... You know, that's what happens when you're on the terraces. But here's another view. And sorry for all you Birmingham City supporters, but it had to be done. This is life when you're on the pitch. It's a whole different game. Here you can get hurt. Here you can get hurt and get taken out and get tackled. Here you can fall out with the team over clashes of opinion. Here you can let others down. You can be the one that scores the own goal. But this is the one where the action is. When you're on the pitch... This is where the action is. This is where you get to be a part of a team doing something. This is where you can know your part counts. This is where something at stake. This is where you get the biggest buzz. This is where you won't be bored because this is where you're meant to be. How do we move from the terraces to the pitch when it comes to purpose? Let me give you three quick things. Make yourself available for selection. You know, when, this is so important. You know, Isaiah in Isaiah, six, in Isaiah chapter 6 says, In a year that King Uzziah died, in a year of national and personal tragedy, because Uzziah was the mentor in many ways to, to Isaiah, he said, I saw the Lord. He says, And when I saw the Lord and this vision of who he is, I saw myself. But then I said, God, here am I, send me. I am made on purpose for a purpose. So make yourself available for selection. Secondly, find your passion and find your place. And I think that's true out there. Wherever you are out there, you've got a glory. You've got a glory. So whatever you're doing in your workplace is the place where God wants you to shine and to live out that glory. But also in here, in the church, you know, we just redesigned our connection cards. And we've also developed this orange one, which is our Get Involved card. And there'll be loads of these at the connection point. And I want to challenge you this morning to go and have a look at that and maybe tick a box 
and let someone contact you and see how you can get involved. Because if you're on the terraces and not on the pitch, you're going to be bored with your Christian life really quickly. Because you weren't created to spectate, you were created for purpose. And right now, we have, we have God is doing some amazing things in and through the church. And as we've gone multi-site, we're seeing loads and loads of opportunities for people to help and to serve and to play their part. You know, 98 people at Hagley last week, kids and youth at Hagley as well. And, and what we're seeing happen here on a Friday night and other things. There's loads of opportunities for you to find your place and get involved. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. Because not only make yourself available for selection, then find your passion and get involved. But finally, keep going till the final whistle. Listen, some of you out there who are a little older in age, you think your time is done. No, it hasn't. I read this great story this week. A guy called Tony Campolo. He said when he was a young man, Christian leader, he said a group of Christian leaders got together and they went on a protest against the federal government's budget cuts, how it was affecting social health and welfare. Nothing much changes, does it? And, and, and they, they were on this protest march and they were arrested by the police. And the story goes that one of the guys on the march, one of these leaders, was 90, was 90 years of age. And when they arrested him, one of the police said, not you again. And he said, and he said when, when at your age are you going to grow up and stop being so foolish? And this 90-year-old man said this, when you're filled with God's spirit and you're working justice for the poor, you're forever young. Isn't that brilliant? This 90-year-old man said, when you're filled with God's spirit and you're involved in something that matters, purpose, you're forever young. I want to tell you, if you're bored, you're probably boring or you haven't got any purpose. Because when you've got purpose in your life, whatever age you are, you will know what that really looks and feels like. And it doesn't matter what age. Listen, old age can be really boring. If all old age is, is about playing golf or having tea and that kind of stuff, there's more to life than that. Seriously, however old you are, guys, you can still get off the terraces and into the game. So I want to invite you to stand with me. I want to invite you to stand with me. And it may be this morning that actually for some of us, we're like, well, you know, I, I don't think I was made on purpose. I was chatting to a friend of mine on Friday, not from this area. So we don't, the four of us, me and Alison and her and her husband, we were together and I was asking about her family a little bit and, and it became obvious that she's one of four daughters and it became obvious that um, as we worked through the ages, she's the youngest. It got to a point and she smiled. She says, yeah, she says, uh, I was a surprise. <laughs> and uh, I, I had this thought, you know, many of us think that we're a surprise or we're an accident. But listen, no matter the biology of how you came to be on the planet, you are not a surprise or an accident to God. You are made on purpose for a purpose. And some of us, we know that, but something's happened to us or we've done something or we've blown it or we've messed up and we think, yeah, we had a purpose, but not any longer. It's almost like we've blown it. We've blown it. God doesn't think that. Or some of us think, actually, our circumstances are such that we can't ever be really used by God. Maybe we're too old, or maybe we're too young, or maybe we're too this, or we're too that, or whatever. God doesn't believe any of that. God says, let my expectation become your inspiration. Let my expectation become your inspiration. I want to pray for you for a moment. Can we pray? 
And if you've got a heart this morning to say, God, I, I want to be a man or a woman, young person, older person of purpose, then maybe you just resonate with this as I pray for you. Father, we want to thank you for your incredible love and grace for us. Lord, we are not here on planet Earth by accident. We are not here just to suck up air and just to peter out at the end of our life. God, we are here on purpose, for a purpose. So Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts here in this place, that we would make ourselves available for selection, that we would find our place on the team and that we would keep going until the very final whistle. God, we're not here by accident. We're here by deliberation of you. The Bible says that you knew us before the foundation of the world. You knew us and you purposed that you would love us and that we would love you and that we would be in relationship with you and that we would be in purpose with you and for you. So Father, would you pray? I pray for the sake of the world and for the sake of your name that you would stir up a fire within us, Lord God, that we would be people on purpose. And we will be people on mission. We will not have time to be bored when we're people on purpose and on mission. So God, help us, I pray. Stir our hearts right now in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing this song, I want to encourage you guys to just to let the Holy Spirit stir you and to bring something. Open your ears and open your eyes. Maybe shift something in your mind or in your heart and then challenge you with your hands and with your feet. Let's be people who know that we're made on purpose for a purpose. You won't have time to be bored when that happens.